The following audio is from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 22. 1 Chronicles chapter 22. And I'll give you just a moment to get there. We're working our way through the Bible on Wednesday nights. Tonight, we'll just be looking at this one chapter. It's not a long chapter, but I think there's some good insight here for us. We're working our way through a passage of the Bible where it's talking about King David's life, and we're coming to the end of David's life and reign as king and, and getting ready to kind of hand off, pass the baton to his son Solomon. And this chapter has a little bit of that inf- information for us. Just look at verse one. Verse one, let's jump right in. That'll kind of serve as our introduction. Then David said, this is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. Then David said, it starts with a then, meaning this is connected with what was written before in chapter 21. So let's just review. You remember that David, as the king of Israel, he, he sinned against the Lord when he pridefully went out to number his armed forces. And he numbered the army and wanted to find out how big his army was. And that was sinful. God saw that as sinful because David wasn't to trust in the number of his forces. David's heart was to be trusting in the Lord. We're not to trust in our own strength, in our own resource, in our own wisdom, in our own abilities. Our confidence and trust need to be in the Lord. He's the one that has given us whatever grace and ability that we have. All of it comes from the Lord. So this was a a compromise for David, this census that he took. And the Lord sent judgment, rebuked David, sent the prophet to correct him, and then sent a judgment. You remember a plague began to move through the land. And then right at the time when David was humbling and repenting and asking God for mercy, the Lord stopped the judgment an angel of the Lord, he made him visible. David could actually see the angel judging the nation. And he said to David, go and make offering and make sacrifice and I'll receive it and stop the judgment. So David goes out, he goes right kind of where he sees the angel over that place and he buys the land. Remember, he buys that that uh, threshing floor of Ornan to offer sacrifice. He offers a burnt offering there and the judgment stops. Not only does the judgment stop, but God sends fire from heaven and consumes the offering. I mean, it's a miracle moment for David. He sees that, that this, in this place where he has offered his humble repentance before God, God has met him, God has heard his prayer, God has stayed the judgment. That's the context of of chapter 22. Then David said, now that this has happened, he's seen fire come down from heaven. You can imagine that would have been a special miraculous moment. The judgment has stopped. God has been merciful. He's heard our prayer. He's received our repentance. Then David said, this is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. This becomes for David the place where the temple will now be built. God has confirmed it with fire. This will be the place. This is the place today. 
If you go to Jerusalem, the, the Temple Mount, that's still the place where David interceded and the Lord met him. That's the place where they built the temple. That's the place where they built the second temple. That's the place we imagine that we, we believe God will ultimately open the door for them to build the third temple. And the Temple Mount is still there. If you go to Jerusalem, that is still a very holy site. In fact, it's so holy that even the foundation walls that were built to support this, pla- this plateau where they built the temple, that's all that stands now. The temple has been destroyed, was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans, torn down, not one brick upon another. Remember, Jesus prophesied that, and it came to pass. But the foundation wall is still there, just a remnant of it. That's what you and I know as the Western Wall. And that's still such a holy place for the Jews and their faith. That's where they go and they pray because it's the last remnant of of a wall that still stands close to where the temple once stood. And so this is all, all of that is where, where David said, this is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of the burnt offering of Israel. This is where we will establish worship for the nation right here where God met us, right here where God answered our prayer, right here where God was merciful to us. So that's the setting for chapter 22. I'm going to read it through the whole chapter. It's not long, 19 verses, and then come back, and I have just a few thoughts, excuse me, for us tonight. Verse 1 again, then David said, this is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of the burnt offering for Israel. So David commanded to gather the aliens who were in the land of Israel, and he appointed masons to cut hewn stones to build the house of God. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails of the doors of the gates and for the joints and bronze in abundance beyond measure and cedar trees in abundance for the Sidonians and those from Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. Now David said, Solomon, my son is young and inexperienced and the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparation for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, my son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, you have shed much blood and have made great wars, you shall not build a house for my name, because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to you, who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon, for I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, And I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you. This is David talking to Solomon, giving him the history. And may you prosper and build the house of the Lord your God, as he has said to you. Only may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding, and give you charge concerning Israel, that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you take care to fulfill the statutes and judgments with which the Lord charged Moses concerning Israel. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be dismayed. 
Indeed, I have taken much trouble to prepare for the house of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold and 1 million talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond measure, for it is so abundant. I have prepared timber and stone also, and you may add to them. Moreover, there are workmen with you in abundance, woodsmen and stonecutters and all types of skillful men of every kind of work. Of gold and silver and bronze and iron, there is no limit. Arise and begin working, and the Lord be with you. David also commanded all the leaders of Israel to help Solomon, his son, saying, Is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not given you rest on every side? For he has given the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Therefore arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord God to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy articles of God into the house that is to be built for the name of the Lord. David charging his son and the helpers of Israel to build this temple. This is the place we have all, I've prepared all the resources. Now you guys build and may the Lord be with you. This is David, as, I, as we see, coming to the end of his kingdom, his reign, and passing the torch to his son Solomon. Just a few things, four thoughts tonight from the text, just some practical thoughts for us. And again, I think as we look at the life of David, I hope that you see, as I do, this guy had so many ups and downs, starts and stops, trials and troubles, victories and, and defeats, and yet God was with him through the whole journey. And, and he's finishing well. We know he's had a lot of rocky road before he got there, but he's finishing well. And this should be an encouragement to us. It's kind of our Christian life. There's a lot of ups and downs. There's a lot of starts and stops and, and trials and troubles. But, but David remains faithful, and so we are called to be faithful, to endure to the end, to finish our race. And we can find some things in David's life that I think apply to all spiritual life, including ours. So four things that stood out to me. I hope they'll minister to you tonight. The first thing I want to point out concerning David is his humble repentance. It was just the chapter before that David was having judgment fall upon the nation for his sin. And yet, this is just, you know, days later, he's getting ready with enthusiasm to build the temple but how important it is to recognize that this was one of the keys to David's heart. Not that he was perfect, but when he sinned, he was quick to humble himself and repent. And this is where God meets him. This is where the Lord establishes where the temple will be built, is in this moment of humble repentance. This is where the Lord meets David, truthfully. This is where the Lord meets us all is when we humble ourselves and come to a place of repentance. Repentance means change. And that can be, of course, at the moment we come to the Lord for the very first time to receive Christ into our lives. That, that takes a humbling. That takes a repentance. Jesus would, would uh, speak of his ministry. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to what? 
to repentance. God's not looking for the righteous and the self-righteous or those that imagine they don't need help. I'm looking for those sinners that know they need help and they're willing to change. They want to change. They'll humble themselves and say, God, forgive me. God, help me. God, save me. This is what David has had in his heart. This is what begins the whole momentum of the chapter. When Peter In the New Testament, in Acts chapter 3, you don't need to turn, I'll have it for you, verse 19, when he preached that first message after, uh, you know, Jesus had ascended to heaven, Peter is now preaching kind of the first gospel message to to the, uh, the Jews there in Jerusalem, and he says, repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So much God can do and desires to do and will do in a heart that will be humble and repentive. Peter says, this is where you start. You you, you repent. You you acknowledge your your sin and you you desire and to turn and change in your heart. God will meet you there. This is where the Lord longs to meet you. This is where salvation is birthed. And this is where, I like what Peter says, times of refreshing may come from the Lord. This is not the first time that David has had to repent. This may not be the last time that he has to repent before he would end, his days would end. And so it is with us. Repentance and humility, I want to suggest, that should be an ongoing condition of your heart. Jesus, when teaching the disciples to pray, he didn't say, you know, now, if you happen to sin, then make sure you ask for forgiveness. He said, when you pray every day, let this be in your prayer. Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This, this hum- humbling and asking for mercy and this idea of repenting. Now, repenting means change. It's not just confessing sin and not changing. It's the idea of confessing, acknowledging, and a change of heart, a sincere desire for God to meet you, and he will. And there's a time of refreshing there. And sometimes, like I said, it's your, your Christian life starts there, but you may have to go there many times during your Christian journey. This is the story for David. But I'm encouraged because the Lord does meet him. Fire comes down from heaven and consumes the offering at the, on the altar. God saying, I, I receive this. I receive your repentance. I'm forgiving you. We're going forward from here. And that's that time of refreshing that we need, that sense of of being forgiven and cleansed and God saying, I've cleansed you, I've forgiven you, I died on the cross for this, receive it and let's go forward. Let's be refreshed in the Lord. Maybe you're here tonight and you just need that time of refreshing. Are you humble? Are you willing to acknowledge repentance, Lord? I need to change. You know, it's a new year, right? That's a time, we do a lot of repenting at New Year's, don't we? We think about new things, of, I'm gonna change this, I'm gonna change that. That's repentance, I'm gonna change. So we're right in step with what the Lord has for us tonight. This idea of humility and repentance. And I have discovered over my own Christian journey that even in times where I, my life kind of comes to crossroads, And it's not necessarily the result of sinful conduct, but God wanting to reorder my priorities. He's wanting to bring change. 
And that, that takes a humility. Lord, what would you have me to do? Lord, I want to be correctable, directable by you. Maybe you have something that you want to change. The psalmist said, search me, Lord. See, look in my heart, that humble heart, willing to repent. This is a clear quality for David, and this begins a whole new time of refreshing for him. The second thing that I want to point out that stood out in our text is David's willful submission. Willful submission. If you follow the passage through, especially verses 7 through 11, listen to, the, to, to David explaining to Solomon uh, how he came to this decision to have Solomon build the temple. Just the highlights. It was in my mind to build the Lord a temple, but the word of the Lord came, you shall not build. The Lord told me, your son shall build. Follow the, the conversation with God. It was in my mind to do this, but the word of the Lord said, no, you're not going to do that. Your son is going to do that. And then David submits to that. And this is the whole occasion. David is now saying, verse 11, now my son, may the Lord be with you and may you prosper and build the house of the Lord your God as he has said to you. This shows us that David's heart is willfully submitted to the will of God. He had it in his mind, in his heart. He had a plan and it was a good plan. Those are the hardest ones to let go of, right? Our good ideas. The Lord even rejects our good ideas sometimes. But this is David's heart, a sincere thing, wanting to do well. But God says, no, that's not for you. And we learn a little insight here. Some of it is because it, when God wanted the temple built, a house of worship, he didn't want a man of war with blood on his hands doing the building. He wanted this son of peace and a peaceful time representing something of the temple, a place where God and man could come and have peace. The temple is not a place of war. The temple is a place where grace is received and we come to peaceful, loving relationship with God. God is interested in all those details. And this is something to remember as we think about God directing our lives. He, he has all the details worked out. And the details are important to the Lord. And our hearts have to be surrendered to that direction, a willful submission. Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May thy kingdom come. May thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're requesting God to accomplish his good purpose in our lives. And this is hard even for believers. Many people stumble here because we have our own agenda. We have our own plans and we believe that they are good plans, good enough that God should be on board. God should want this for us. After all, we want it. It's not a bad thing. In David's case, it was even a worshipful thing, but the Lord, David allows the Lord to redirect him. And I think all of us have to come to that place where we allow the Lord to lead and direct our lives. Many have dis been disappointed with the Lord's kind of redirecting their life. I see men and women struggle with this. They chafe at that. They resist that. They think that their way is going to be better for them. They think that they know better than God what will be best. We don't say it out loud, of course, 
but in our hearts we feel it. And there's a disappointment. There's this sense of loss. Gosh, what a, what a bummer. I don't get to, I don't, God's not going to let me do what I want to do. And, and, and now I have to do what, what he's directing me to. But see, David's heart isn't responding that way. This is a willful submission. David's not chafing at this. Well, okay, I should have been the one to build it. All right, my son, you're God, okay, you know, right? This is not how David's responding. He just moves right, oh, amen, the temple will be built. My son gets to build it. I'm getting to work on the preparation. That'll be my part. And he jumps right in, this willful submission to the Lord. Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. What's the true evidence of God's children? They're led by God's Spirit. They're led by God's Spirit. You know what leading is, right? Someone is leading, someone is following. The Spirit of God is leading, you and I are following. We want to we lead God on our adventures, but we're called to be led by the Spirit. And you must allow God to lead you must allow God to set the agenda because in the end, it's the best. In the end, it's so much better than your plan, your agenda, your hopes. Sometimes it's timing. It may be that God it has this for you, but not now. And we get that mixed up sometimes and we get ahead of the Lord. But we have to learn to trust and wait on the Lord. His will, His timing, His glory. Can the Lord redirect you? Are, you? are you open to the Lord redirecting you? You know, this is where Cain, remember the story of Cain and Abel? Cain wanted to bring to the Lord what he thought would be a good offering. And he was very upset when God said, mm, I'm not accepting that one, but I do like your brother's offering, Abel's. Remember how Cain responded? He hated his brother. He was so jealous. He was mad at God. You should take whatever I want to give you. I put a lot of work into that. What do you mean you don't want it? And God came to him and said, you know, Cain, sin is lurking and wants to capture you. It's at the door. Why are you so downcast? Don't you know that if you will do well, you too will be received and accepted? God was not rebuking Cain. God was saying, I don't want that type of an offering. I want this type of an offering. And so this, this willful submission, the Lord can redirect you. Thirdly, what we see after David submits to this new plan is we see joyful service, right? Look at verse five. So David made abundant preparations before his death. David was not pouting. He was not off, you know, well, if God won't let me build the temple, then I just can't go on with God. Oh, Lord, take me home. I'll just finish out my day. He kept busy. He did his part. And this is the beauty of the Lord. The Lord has a part for each of us. We, want to, we, we, we think that we would like God to give us the part we want, but we really need to adapt our hearts to saying, God, I want the the part that you have for me. What is my part? The, uh, the writer, Paul, the, uh, the writer of much of the New Testament, in numerous places, he likens the church, the family of God, to a body. You know that, that analogy, and a body has many parts. Not every part does the same thing. If all were an eye, where would the hearing be? 
Paul says. If we were all ears, where would the smelling be, right? We need one another. We need each part. It's not that one part is more valuable or more important than another. All are significant. All are equal in the eyes and heart of God. All are called to do their part. And David understands this. He's okay with it. He's, he's fine with Solomon building the temple, and he now sees what his part is. I got to get my son ready. I got to get the nation ready. I got to get the resources ready. We've, God has established the site. Let's start getting the materials. And David begins to joyfully, joyfully serve. This becomes really the passion of his last days. This is what David is about in the, in the kind of the twilight of his life. And I like that, that God keeps him busy and occupied all the way till the end. You know, there's no retirement in our walk and journey with the Lord. We go till we're done. You know when you're done? When you're dead, that's when you're done. And you go till then and you serve the Lord as you can, right? And our parts change as we get older. I can't do some parts anymore. Now I got to do another part. And, but, but there is a part. There is something for all of us to do. You may remember Jesus when he was ministering to the Samaritan woman at the well. The scene is that the disciples came into this little Samaritan town. The fact that it was a Samaritan town was already kind of a message of its own because the Jews didn't like to be around the Samaritans, but Jesus wanted to be there. And they were hungry and tired, and so they left Jesus sitting and resting kind of by the well while the disciples went to get some food. They went to buy some food so that they could kind of be be refreshed. And while they're gone, this Samaritan woman comes to the well to draw water. And you know the exchange. Jesus begins to talk to her, and he speaks into her life. And he opens up her eyes to spiritual things. And, and she goes and gets the whole town to come. And the whole town is converted. It becomes this kind of little revival in the Samaritan. You leave Jesus alone with anybody for very long, you're going to have revival break out. And this is what happens. But the disciples don't know of this. But the, the, Jesus is so um, kind of caught up in the moment of doing his father's business that when, they, when the disciples get back, he's not even hungry anymore. And they try to give him food. Okay, master, we're, we're, it's time to eat. I'm not hungry. And they, st- did somebody sneak food to Jesus? How's come he's not, we're starved. He's been here. And Jesus says this, John 4, 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus is letting his disciples know that there is something so rewarding in doing the Father's work, doing your part. You know, we often, we kind of sometimes want to do his part or her part. I want that part. I don't like my part. But Jesus lets us know, no, whatever that God has given to you, wherever you find yourself, whatever opportunity you have to, to live for the Lord, that's, that's where your nourishment and spiritual strength and joy. Jesus is refreshed because he's had this moment where he has been at the right place, at the right time, speaking the exact right words to the right person, 
and it's all the work of the Father. That was Jesus' life. He was always in the right place at the right time, saying the right things. He's our model. He's our example. And that becomes nourishment to the soul. This is David. This is why David goes so strong to the end, because he's finding nourishment, joy, from doing the will of him who sent him, and he's ready to finish the work. Not preoccupied with another man's work or calling. Remember, Peter worried about John. What did Jesus say to him? What I have for him is what I have for him. Famous words. What is that to you? Don't you just love that about Jesus? I can just see that. What is that to you? You know, I just have a little, I hear a little attitude in there. And I feel like the Lord has said that to me on occasion, you know. I'm all worked up. What is that to you? Well, I don't know. It just bothers me. Well, what is that to you? You be faithful with what I've given you to do. And that is where, that's the food that you know not of. That's the will of him who has touched you and called you. Finally, the fourth thing that we see out of this chapter tonight in David's life is that he gives faithful charge. A faithful charge. Before David finishes out his time, he leaves a legacy and he faithfully charges the next generation. I like that. He said there in verse six, um, he called his, for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. Build, do the Lord's work. A number of things just in this charge with Solomon, just a few kind of subpoints, if you will, on this last thing that we see. He, the first thing is he tells him, build. Solomon, do what God has called you to do. And that's a good, that's a good charge. You, we can say that to one another. That's a good encouragement. Hey, what's the Lord telling you to do? What has the Lord revealed? Well, I'm not sure about this and that. Well, is there anything that you know the Lord has? Well, I know that the Lord has asked me to do this. Then do it. Do build. Do this work. Solomon, I don't know what all your reign will look like. I'll be long gone. But one thing I do know, you're to build this temple. And so he gives him this charge. Do the Lord's work. Second thing, that a part of this faithful charge, look at verse 11 and 12. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you and may you prosper and build the house of the Lord your God as he has said to you. Only may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding and give you charge concerning Israel that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. What do you hear in that? I, I hear from David, my son, listen, stay close to the Lord. Do the work, but don't do it in your own strength. Don't do it on your own. Don't do it with your own ideas and ambition. Don't get off on your own. Don't make this your project. Stay close to the Lord. May the Lord be with you. You can't prosper unless the Lord is with you. Jesus would say to his disciples, unless you abide in me and and I in you, you can't do anything. You can't bear fruit unless you stay connected as a branch to the vine. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And you hear this in David's charge, Solomon. Do what God's called you to do, but do it with his presence. Stay close to him. You're going to need his wisdom. You're going to need his understanding and charge. That means you're going to need instruction from him, how to lead the nation. Stay close to the Lord. 
The third thing I see in, the, in David's charge to his son is that he would take care with the word of God. Verse part of 13, then you will prosper if you take care to fulfill the statutes and judgments with which the Lord charged Moses concerning Israel. Solomon, as you go along in your mission, stay close to, the, to God and take care with his word. Hide that word in your heart, Solomon. Know God's word. Study it. Read it. Become acquainted with it. It's a light to your path. It will guide you. It will lead you. It will correct you. It will give you, you know, direction in your life. And this is still good, good advice for us, isn't it? What did Paul tell Timothy? Stay in the word. Preach the word. Encourage others in the word. God's word. That's the lifeline. That's the mind and heart of God is his word. Do you know what Solomon discovered later on in his years, long after his father was gone, long after he forgot this little uh, interaction? What got Solomon into trouble? He began to disobey what? The word of God. He got away from some of the instructions in God's word concerning how kings should behave. Solomon began because of his wealth, because of the blessing, because of his wisdom. He began to take matters into his own hand, things he wasn't supposed to do according to the word of Moses. You weren't supposed to multiply horses and riches, but Solomon did. You weren't supposed to multiply wives, but boy, Solomon did. And these are the things that that distracted Solomon in the later years of his life. These are the things that troubled him. He he forgot this word from his dad, Solomon, take care to obey all that God has revealed to you in his word. And that's a good charge for us as well. Take care with the word. And finally, the last, oh no, not finally, two more little things within the charge. The uh, fourth thing is to walk by faith. Look at verse, the latter half of verse 13. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be dismayed. In verse 18, is not the Lord your God with you? He says this to the men who are he's calling to come help Solomon. And, and the, the encouragement here is Solomon, walk by faith. God has revealed this to you. God has confirmed this. He's made promise over you. Now you walk believing those things. Be strong and, and of good and take courage. Don't be fearful, don't be dismayed. And that's the challenge for the Christian life as well, isn't it? That's where where it's hard. When when we become fearful, where we become discouraged, when we become dismayed, downcast, confused. I didn't think it was going to go like this. I thought this would be different by now. I I didn't realize that it would be so hard, right? Lord, if you told, told me all this, I don't think I'd have started because now that I'm in it, and it's just so hard, right? And this is the word. This is, why, this is why David says this to Solomon at the beginning. This is why the Lord spoke to Joshua at the beginning of his ministry in Joshua chapter one. Be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Why do you need that encouragement at the very beginning of a, of a journey? Yeah, of course. Oh, don't worry. Don't worry about me. I'm off and running. Oh, listen, listen. 
Be strong. Keep courage. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Don't allow fear. Don't allow the trials of the road and the journey and your walk and your ministry and your good intentions. Remember, there's going to be moments when you have to walk by faith. It's much easier to walk by sight. It's much easier to walk as we can navigate our own way and things are falling according to plan. It's much harder to walk trusting the Lord and keep going in the Lord when it's dark, when things are troubled, and you have nothing but God's promise in your heart, nothing but the assurance that he loves you and that he's with you and that he's called you and that if you'll hold on, he'll bring you through. Paul told the Galatians, don't grow weary in well-doing. Why would he say that? Because we do grow weary in well-doing. You will reap in due season if you faint not. Hold on, hold the course, walk by faith. And that's just something all of us have got to embrace. God has called us to walk by faith, not by sight. And finally here, again under this subheading of David's charge to his son, finish the race. Verse 19, now set your heart, this is to Solomon, this is to all of the men that he's called to come help his son. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Therefore arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord God to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord God, of the Lord and the holy articles of God into the house that is to be built for the name of the Lord. Finish the course. You guys, set your heart to seek him and then do what he's asked you to do and finish this good work. David is passing the baton of faith to his son, to his kingdom. God has been faithful to him, ups and downs, a long journey. And David has learned over time, even in his own mistakes, but God has been merciful. And as he's humbled, God has, has forgiven. And, and now David is passing that baton. And I think this is a good reminder for all of us. You know, you are, you are leaving a legacy. Maybe you're young here tonight. You say, oh, my, I don't even have a legacy started. I'm not even sure, you know, what I'm doing. How can I leave a legacy? Well, even your example today, even what you're doing now, is going to affect the trajectory and course of your life. And that's, you want to leave a legacy of faith. You want to be able to pass a baton. And, and you know, Paul would tell Timothy, now entrust, find men, faithful men, and entrust to them the things that I've entrusted to you. And find men that will be able to entrust these things to others. This is the way the Christian faith continues. This is why we're here tonight, because we, have, we stand on the legacy of others who have gone before us. Not only those who wrote the word and the scriptures, but those faithful men and women from generation to generation that have, that have walked with the Lord and passed the baton. I saw an interview of Pastor Chuck Smith just shortly, you know, a few years before he went on to be with the Lord. You know, a lot of people wanted to interview him. A lot of people were trying to capture, you know, whatever last nuggets of wisdom he had for, for ministers and pastors. And then the question was put to him, Chuck, you know, after all you've been through, 40 plus years of ministry, all you've seen, 
You know, if you were to speak a word of encouragement to a young pastor, somebody just getting started, you know, what, what would you say to them? You know, I can't do a good Chuck Smith imitation. I wish I could, but in kind of his, this warm, very loving voice, he said, I would tell them, stay the course. Stay the course. Ministry has many ups and downs, and not just ministry. Christian life has many ups and downs. You'll be, you'll be tempted to quit. You'll be discouraged with your own failures. You'll have your own disappointments and frustrations. People will hurt you along the way. All of this will be a part of your journey. Stay the course. Finish the race. God is with you. God is for you. God loves you. He's made promise over you. His spirit is upon you. And this is David's charge to his son, to these men behind. Guys, the Lord is with you. Be strong. Finish this project. God wants his temple built here in this place. Let's build a place where they will worship for the generations to come. And you know they did. God would be worshiped in that temple, Solomon's temple. It would be glorious. Hundreds of years, God would be honored in the nation, and it became something of a a spiritual legacy for the people. And so, in some way, you and I are building a legacy. We're building a a, a spiritual house of worship that others in the next generation will need to follow. Live your life as if someone is following you. Live your life as if, you know, you know, People are watching you live for Jesus to figure out whether they want to live for Jesus and whether and how they should live for Jesus. Now, ultimately, you've got to keep your eyes on the Lord. And if, you're a good, if that's the, a good legacy to leave, look to Jesus. <laughs> Don't look to me. But look to me in that I am looking to Jesus. Follow that example. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Christ is our example. He's the one we're following. He's our pioneer. He's the author of our faith. But let's encourage one another. Let's stir one another up. And David definitely does this as he comes to the end of his ministry in life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this chapter tonight. Kind of the handoff. King David... He kind of comes to the understanding of what his twilight years are about. He had in his mind that he would build a temple, but Lord, you directed his heart and he willingly embraced what you had for him. And that became fruitful, not only in his life, but in the life of the nation, the life of his son. And God, I see in David a man, the Bible says, after your heart, after God's own heart. And so as I look at his life, Lord, I, I'm, I'm looking for insights. I, I'm looking for things that, I, that speak to my heart. And Lord, these are practical things that, that translate right into my day, my time, and our lives as Christians. And so tonight, as we close, we've got a little bit of time just to worship the Lord, maybe even just to wait on the Lord for a minute and let the Lord minister to us how he might as, by his Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask the worship team just to kind of take us through a little worship. You can remain seated if you like. You can stand if you like. But let's just, we've got just a little extra time tonight. Let's just sing and let's pray.
And I want you to just keep your heart open tonight. Let the Lord, let, the Lord may not be done. He's done, I'm done with my message, but the Holy Spirit may have some applying of the message into your heart or speaking to you tonight. And so I want to just kind of quiet yourself. You know, sometimes you just got to sit still and, and think on the Lord and let the Holy Spirit minister to you. And I'm thinking there's some here tonight. Maybe, maybe you're at a crossroad. Maybe you do need to repent and, and, and as I said, repentance isn't always repenting from sin, but maybe just changing course. It may be sin that needs to, to be acknowledged and confessed, and God is merciful. Or it may just be reprioritizing your life. As, as I said, we're at the new year. Maybe, maybe there are things God's dropping into your heart, and, and you, you just need to align that, acknowledge that, and allow the Lord to redirect you. And do it with, with a willfulness, a joy. And maybe there's just things that God wants to remind you of, even as we looked at David's charge to Solomon. I I know in my own heart, some of those charges were just coming to me. Do the work. Rise up and build. (laughs) Do the work. Stay close to the Lord. Stay close to the Word. Take care with the Word. Be strong. Maybe you're discouraged here tonight. Maybe you are dismayed and fearful, and God just wants to speak a word of encouragement and strength into your heart. Let's just wait on him as we worship. And then I'll close us out with some prayer, but I want the Holy Spirit just to have time to minister to your heart right now as we worship him. When David made his offering on that threshing floor of Ornan, and fire came from heaven and consumed the offering, David knew this is the place. This is where God has met us. God has heard my my prayer of repentance. God has heard my request for mercy. And God has met me here. He's met our nation here. This will be the place. And we have a place. And the place where we come today is the cross. We come to what was foreshadowed in the old temple, but has now been made complete in Jesus. The blood that was offered in the temples, that was all pointing to the blood of Jesus that would one day be offered at the cross. Our this is the place is Calvary. The cross of Christ, that's where we come. And we don't have to go to a physical place. It's a, it's a surrendering of our hearts. It's a receiving of this truth, of this love. And I would just encourage you tonight, maybe, maybe you need to do some business at the cross. Maybe there's some surrendering that needs to take place in your heart tonight. Maybe there's a time of refreshing that is so needed. You'll find it at the cross. Just humble yourself. Maybe there's things you need to acknowledge. Maybe you just ask the Lord to encourage you. You've lost hope and you've, you're dismayed. And God, you've, I just need you to refresh me tonight. And I come to you. I come to the altar of the cross where you paid it all, where you met me, where my salvation was, was begun. And just that that cleansing, that that healing, that encouragement, that love, just to meet and refresh your heart again. Let's just sing that chorus. Let's stand and let's sing that chorus again at the cross, at the cross, and, and just surrender it now to the Lord. Make this just your offering to him.
Lord, we thank you for your great love for us tonight. Jesus, you came. Jesus, you died. You rose. All of it was by the strength of your hand. All of it, your reach of love for us. As we come to you, we come to a God who is already reaching to us. We don't come looking. We don't come trying to find a God who is absent and disinterested. We come to a God whose eye is on our heart tonight and whose hands are open and extended in the love of his son, Jesus, saying, come, come and drink, come and enjoy that which is free and for you. Oh God, refresh hearts tonight. And that's my prayer, Lord, a time of refreshing. As we come into the new year, Lord, let it be a time of refreshing, a time of resetting our hearts and by your Holy Spirit, breathing hope and joy and love and direction and counsel and life back into our hearts. Lord, we need you tonight. You love us, Lord. You've saved us. We're cleansed before you because of Jesus. We stand righteous before you because of Jesus. We stand accepted in your hand today because of Jesus. What more? Lord, encourage our hearts by your Spirit. Be with your people tonight. May your love and grace be upon them, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. To view and listen to more sermons, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.